The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning to all of you. <clears throat> I haven't been here for a few months, so it's really nice to be here. Um, I was, uh, was thinking as I was coming down this morning, I live up in, in West Marin, which is about a two-hour drive. I can tell you that if you leave at 10 to 6 in the morning, you're lucky to get here by 8. <laughs> and it was very foggy this morning, very foggy, um, dark and foggy. Makes me grumpy. And I wasn't driving, which in a way brought up for me a lot of things about how I like to control my environment and how I was in control of very little. It was dark, it was foggy, and I was not driving. And that what, what was really clear to me is that I knew I would get here anyway, or at least I had faith that I would get here. I was pretty sure I would get here. You know, we, we get in our cars, and we're pretty sure that where we're going in those cars, we're going to get to. There's a kind of, there's a confidence that arises that, you know, we're used to it. That's what happens. And, and we're very clear that it doesn't have to happen. But, you know, most of the time, that's what happens. When I don't know about you when, you, when you first started meditating, did you do it with the idea that you were developing a spiritual practice? Did you have it in mind? Okay, <clears throat> I'm going to meditate because I need to add this to my spiritual life. Some people do. Or maybe, like me, you said, well, I think I'll see what this is like. See what this does. And as you go on, as you practice meditation, mindfulness in particular, you discover that you develop a certain capacity that the more you practice it, the more mindful you are. It just sort of happens. It's not as if you set out and you know exactly what it's going to be, but you kind of had a faith that, well, something's going to happen. Something's going to be different. And we do this in the development of any skill, There are skills. There's practice. We practice and we get better at things. Now, I was never a runner. I don't have a body that wants to run. It just, I've never been a runner. And every time I tried to run, it felt incredibly foreign. Really foreign. Like this body just wasn't built to do that. Walk, yeah, I can walk. I'm a pretty good walker. I have a good capacity for walking, but I was probably never going to be a runner. I certainly never had any faith that I was going to be a runner. People that I know who are runners spend a lot of time at it. They develop the technical skill. They develop the, it feels like the natural thing to them. And to them, it feels like it's not right if they don't run. It's just not right if they don't run. And in spiritual life, that happens too. If I'm not doing that, it just doesn't feel right. It just, this is what feels right, is to be this way, to do these things. And in the development of a spiritual life, or the development of yourself as a marathoner, there are certain things that 
that come up. There are certain faculties that you develop. So this, this series of talks is going to be on developing those faculties. Those faculties, which are faith or confidence, effort, persistence. You've got to keep at it. You've got to put some energy into it. Mindfulness, presence. You've got to be there. You've got to be in the room with your practice, whatever it is. Concentration. Focus. You've got to focus on it. Well, maybe one of the reasons I was never a runner is I just never could quite see it. <laughs> you have a vision. You have a focus. You are dedicated to it. You go into it with wholeheartedness. And finally, there's this capacity of wisdom. As you consider yourself in your spiritual life, in whatever thing you take on, eventually you decide, you know, this works and this doesn't really work. You develop a kind of wisdom that becomes part of you. All of these faculties are not so much things that you do as things that you incorporate, that become part of you. They become how you move through the day. And that's what a spiritual practice really is. It's not something that you do at certain times of the week or, um, well, when I get around to it, this is what my spiritual life is going to be. The development of a spiritual life is something that arises out of you. It arises out of the practice, and it's just part of who you are and how you are in, in everyday life. It doesn't mean that you're obsessed about whether this is part of my spiritual practice. It just means that it becomes part of you. It becomes just the way you are in the world. It isn't something that is in addition to who you are. <laughs> It's just who you are in the world. It becomes the basis of the way we shape our lives. Part of what happened to me in my practice is I discovered there were people who fell out of my life because they didn't really fit with the way I was living my life anymore. There were places that fell out of my life because they just didn't speak to me anymore. Practices, ways of being in the world. It's not like I set out to be a better person, although all practice has some of that element in it. It's just that it didn't feel right anymore. Not good, it just didn't fit. At the end of the Satipatthana Sutta, at the very end, there's there's a... uh, what the Buddha said when he described mindfulness meditation is that it is a direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of suffering and discontent. Wow, that's pretty good. (laughs) Just mindfulness meditation. Direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of suffering and discontent. Now, it isn't that you just sit down and you meditate once a week and that that's going to happen. It pretty much means that it permeates your life. It means that you take on the Eightfold Path 
where you adopt right speech and right view and right understanding. You know, you, you don't you don't just it, it it isn't like you get a little blessing, you know. We must be close to Ash Wednesday. Not yet. Little by the end of this, well, you know, when they put the the little ashes on your forehead, and somehow you feel like you're protected for the rest of Lent. You know, that's not what it's like. And even in the Catholic Church, by the way, not to make too light of that, it isn't true there either. But as a child, it seemed like that's what was happening to me. And that's the point. We aren't we aren't children. Bhante Gunaratana refers to the development of a spiritual life as relentless dedication, energy, and perseverance. Relentless dedication, energy, and perseverance. In order for you to gain concentration, your efforts must be supported by perfectly clear morality. Your concentration must be wholesome and one-pointed. This powerful concentration must be cultivated with equally powerful mindfulness. Then, supported by pure morality and skilled concentration, the wisdom that brings liberation takes place. Nobody said it was easy. And what he described there was, in fact, the five faculties. So that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Mostly, these, these capabilities are recognized. It's sort of like, oh, you notice this has happened oh, you notice that you're more mindful. As you practice mindfulness, oh, look at that, I'm paying attention. You just start noticing it more. You know, notice more about your life. I remember the, the early in my practice, finally realizing that I was inhabiting more of my life. It was quite a shock to me. It was a, it was a real revelation to me that I was inhabiting more of my life. And that's what this is like. It's a realization of these capacities. That as you practice, what you need to do is look for these and cultivate things that support these five, these five factors. The other thing about them that I'd like to mention is that they're really kind of intertwined and co-arising. It's not as if uh, faith is independent of mindfulness or perseverance or that effort is independent of wisdom. Everything has to be in balance. So when we talk about these, you're going to find all of these factors kind of popping up because they're, they're not really in isolation. <clears throat> uh, Utejaniya talks about mindfulness in, in the little pamphlet, don't, don't Look Down on the Defilements. There's a, a line in there that says that the five faculties of faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom must be in balance, a state of mind that has been developed through the momentum of persistent practice. It's that momentum. I loved that. A state of mind that has been developed through the momentum of persistent practice. That's our goal here. That's what spiritual life is. Okay, so we begin with faith. So, so what I'm planning to do is talk this morning about faith. Next week, we'll go into effort and persistence. And we'll probably do mindfulness and concentration together in the third week. And we'll close up with wisdom, because by then we'll all be very wise. 
Okay, so that's the plan. And this morning, what we're going to talk about is faith. So where, where would I start except with um, one of my favorite books, which is uh, uh, the uh, Buddhism Without Belief. Buddhism Without Beliefs that was written by Stephen Batchelor. And he opens it with a quote from the Kamala Sutta uh, where the Buddha says, Do not be satisfied with hearsay or with tradition or legendary lore or what has come down in scriptures or with conjecture or logical inference or with weighing evidence or with liking for a view after pondering over it or with someone else's ability or with the thought The monk is our teacher. When you know in yourselves these things are wholesome, blameless, commended by the wise, and being adopted and put into effect, they lead to welfare and happiness, then you should practice and abide in them. Don't believe. See what's true. Don't believe what someone's telling you. Certainly not me. See what happens. Develop a curiosity. The Pali word for faith is sada, which means to place the heart on. To place the heart on. That's, that's the meaning of faith here. It's, it's where, it's, it's a movement, an intentive movement. It isn't something that you hold. It's an It's an intention toward something, toward a path that leads to freedom. It's not a noun, faith. You know, usually we think of faith as a, as a noun. But in the Pali, it's a verb. It's to place one's heart on. It's inherently hopeful in hope of a, of a good outcome. But it's not dependent on the outcome. It's a movement with resolve. There's a kind of, I'm going to do this. It's the faith that comes, that is, that describes that movement of, I'm going to try this. And I'm going to see what happens. And I'm trying it because I think, I think it might be good for me. I think it might be a good thing that happens out of this. There's energy in it. But it doesn't eliminate doubt. It doesn't say all doubts are forbidden. (laughs) It's not that kind of faith. It isn't a belief. You have to believe this and then everything else should be ignored. No. No. It, It is placing one's heart on. It's saying, I'm moving this way. And what I'm moving toward is freedom. I want to be free in my life. I want to be peaceful in my life. Sharon Salzberg wrote a book on faith, which is quite wonderful if you haven't seen it. It's a a small book. And she talks about the initial, you initially have something called bright faith, where you say, ah, you know, I look at that person and I say, that person really seems to be happy. What are they doing? I'm going to do something like that. They seem so peaceful. And you say, I can do that. I'm going to do that. And it's a kind of, it's an energy of beginning, and she calls that bright faith. I like that. It's kind of, there's a spark. Okay, I'm going to go do this, right? But it doesn't actually sustain you over the long haul 
because what's going to sustain you over the long haul to deepen the faith that you have is you've got to see results. (laughs) That's what's going to sustain you. When you see what it does in your life, that, that creates faith. What happens in my life? There's a time of um, uh, skillful doubt. You know, we say, mm, I don't know. I'm going to see what happens here. And it's not so much skeptic. You know, the skeptic will say, oh, I don't believe it's going to happen. I'll try it, but I don't think it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's a, a, a doubt that just says, okay, I don't really know. I don't really know, but I'm going to try this. And as you go along, as you practice you begin to see that it affects your life. And you begin to see that, that this practice is something that is actually sustaining you. Oh, and then you develop, you develop more, uh, it, it becomes verifiable faith, what she calls verifiable faith. Okay, this is worth doing. I can see this is worth doing. I'm not good at it, but it's worth doing, and I'm going to keep doing it. And that building of faith, that building of confidence that building of ease with the practice is what comes with practice. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, this is making sense. This is making sense. That, in turn, by her description, leads to what she calls abiding faith. It has to do with living with our ideals. You know? So you get up, you don't feel like meditating this morning, yeah, 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 I know it's good, I know it's good. No, well, you know, it really does make a difference. Boom, you sit on the cushion. Faith has a, uh, has a partner in impermanence. Faith is not something that says, I know if I do this, this will be the outcome. Have you ever done that? I'm going to sit down and I know I'm going to be relaxed, and then you're not. You are mindful. You are awake. You are noticing, I'm not rested. I'm not peaceful. Peace is not part of this practice at the moment, (laughs) even though that's the goal. So it's independent of the goal, but the practice of being in the room, of occupying your life, inhabiting your life, of being in this moment, that's actually working. (laughs) It does, it's not always pleasant. But the practice of being here and being with what is really true, that's still working. It's still working. It's not solid and unchangeable, not if you're really paying attention. It's not the same. You're not the same. Your responses are not the same. My responses are not the same. As I go through the day, I'll notice, well, let's say this morning when I started out thinking grumpy, grumpy, I don't want to get too early, it's dark, it's... And I could feel that grumpiness. And I said, well, it's not really grumpiness. I think I'm still asleep. (laughs) Just sort of thinking about all of that and noticing it all. And then I thought, well, I could sit here and explain to myself why I am feeling this way. Or I could just notice that I'm feeling this way. 
End of story. Eventually it changes. But if I'm busy trying to explain to myself why I'm feeling this way, then all I'm doing is building up ill will around, I don't like this, I don't like that, I wish this were different. And I'm creating something different. But because I noticed that I was feeling this way, and I noticed what my mind wanted to do, which was fix it, change it, blame it on someone (laughs) or something, I notice all of that. I'm so busy noticing all of that, it changes. Just changes. That's happened enough to me that I now have faith that whatever is happening now isn't necessarily what's going to happen in the next moment. Not because someone has told me that, but because that has been my experience. It doesn't change this mind that wants to do something different. But the faith that I have developed in my practice, that this moment is just this moment, sustains me to the next moment. I understand that things aren't necessarily going to turn out the way I want them to. Now, if I say that to you, of course you'll say, I know that. But, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some tricky part of the brain that says, okay, if I sit down on this cushion and I meditate, this is what's going to happen. There's kind of an expectation. So part of what develops your faith is recognizing the difference between expectation and intention. Expectation is focused on the end point. Intention is focused on now. My intention. It's, it's more that placing one's heart on than believing in an outcome. Okay? Alan Watts put it, belief clings, faith lets go. Belief says it has to be this way. Faith says, I believe this outcome will be what it needs to be what it's going to be, whether it needs to be that way or not, is, is optional. The, the Buddha is often quoted as having said, come and see, just come and see, try the practice. There's a certain amount of faith that just says, try it and see what happens, being curious about what happens. Just what's going to happen in this next moment. In mindfulness, that's, that's really all we're doing. Oh, now what's going to happen? Now what's going to happen? Now what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? There's danger in too much expectation because it's really easy to become disillusioned when things don't happen the way you think they ought to. You know, we measure our practice. Well, I've been, I've been sitting for five years. I should be this kind of person. Who says? (laughs) Who says? And and what is the ideal of this kind of person? What does that mean? You're not free if you want to be someone else. You're only free if you are who you are. Right here. That's the only place you can be free. Not by being someone else. Otherwise, your faith is like a a brittle cracker that has too much on it. It kind of crumbles and falls apart. (laughs) 
because that's not sustainable to become something else, someone else. You can have an intention toward kindness. You can have an intention toward ease of mind and equanimity. But you can't make those things happen. They happen because you're living with the intention. And how do I know that? I just have to wait and see. I just have to see what's happening. There was a a recent study done and published in Science Magazine the 1st of January of this year. And uh, a New York Times article referred to it as Random Acts of Being Human. I just loved the title of the article in the New York Times, Random Acts of Being Human. Because that's kind of, um, that's what life is, the random acts of being human. The article, by the way, had to do with uh, uh, the likelihood of developing cancer. And in the article, which was a statistical evaluation of types of cancers and how they were developed, came up with the conclusion that random mutations are responsible for explaining the difference in risk for two-thirds of the risk of cancer. Now, I have kind of used specific words here because it doesn't mean that two-thirds of all cancers are caused by random mutations. <laughs> it's a statistical evaluation of something. So, so to give you an idea what I mean, if you take a quarter and you flip it and, you, and you're looking for heads or tails, you have a 50% chance of coming up with heads. And after 15 times, if all you've gotten is tails, you may be expecting that the next one is going to be heads, but you still only have a 50% chance, no matter... You know, the way statistics works is it's not additive. If it's a 50% chance, it's a 50% chance, and it's always that. Okay, so in this paper, they talked about that. And and the point they wanted to make, it had to do with... uh, the, the stem cells in different tissues, because they, the longer you live, the more, uh, the more times they split and reproduce, and the more chances there are for mutations to arise. It's like the more often you're in the car, the more likely it is that you'll be in an accident. If you're never in a car, you'll never be in a car accident. But, you know, as time goes on, it's possible that you will. And so the same thing is true, because your cells are mutating all the time, Okay, so the response to this article was really interesting. There were the people who were so relieved because it meant they were not responsible for their cancer or their child's cancer. Or, you know, People kind of get the idea that, oh, I got cancer because I wasn't eating right or I wasn't living right or I lived too close to this risk factor. The other response was, oh, this is totally wrong. There's clearly an impact. If you smoke, you're going to get lung cancer, you know, and so the associations between certain cancers are there. The other, the other specific thing about this article was that it ignored prostate cancer and breast cancer, and it ignored them because they don't know, they don't understand the stem cells in those tissues, not because they were trying to skip over something. Okay, so, so here's what came out of that. There were people who were upset about it because they long for control. You know, I want to know what causes cancer so that I can avoid it and I can control my life and I'll never get cancer. And we do that about lots of things. 
This long for control is part of why people believe things they believe. Really strong beliefs. This is what's true. And if I believe this is true, then I have control over some part of my life. If I believe those people are like that, I'm like this, I mean, the beliefs can be the other way around. So I can say, oh, well, this is how I am. This is just how I am. That's kind of an excuse not to control. <laughs> this is, I can't do anything about it. This is just how I've always been this way. You know, it's a belief that has to do with control. If I believe this, then that's one area of my life I don't have to leave open to chance. As if I had control. (laughs) It's a long for control. So part of developing a spiritual practice and faith in a spiritual practice is being okay with the fact that you, in fact, are not in control. You cannot control the outcome. Perfect technical spiritual skills will not assure you of a peaceful death. There are all kinds of things that we believe in that don't have anything to do with the ripeness of faith, of placing your heart on a particular way of being right now in this moment. So we say, if I do this, then that will happen. Or, if I believe this, I'm safe. I'm safe. Yes, I'm a good Buddhist, so I don't have to worry about whatever you think you don't have to worry about. (laughs) Or, I'm this way and nothing can be done about it. Or, I'm not acceptable. Or, this thing about me is not acceptable. You can hold the belief, this thing about me is not acceptable. Let's say... um, Um, something happened to me a couple of days ago. A discussion came up between me and my husband. He brought up a topic that just I did not want to talk. The topic was taxes, okay? I did not want to talk about taxes. I wanted to talk about the five spiritual practices. That's where my mind was. I did not want to talk about taxes. And, And I had to because... Well, I didn't have to. I could have been really snotty and just said no, left the room, left the house. But, but in the interest of our marriage, uh, I ended up spending two days working on this aspect of taxes, which n- was not in my plan. And what I noticed coming up with me was all kinds of blame, anger, nastiness, the potential for <clears throat> lots of growly things, right? Now, I don't like to think of myself that way, and I don't like to be that way. But that's what was coming up, because I really did not want to talk about this topic. And so I had to be there with that, that, uh, uh, that ill will, that ill will that I was experiencing in reaction to the topic. Did not, did not, did not. And I watched myself pushing it away and pushing it away. And the consequence of not being able to control it 
I mean, I could have, but I wasn't willing to be the person who could control it. Is this making any sense to you? I mean, I could have just said, not talking about this, come back next week, period. I could have done that, but I didn't want to be that person. And so I watched myself developing this uh, snappiness, and, and I realized I didn't want to be that person either. <laughs> Mindfulness, a spiritual practice, is not about being good. It's about seeing what's happening seeing it. I was very mindful. I wasn't at ease. I wasn't happy. I wasn't living out my intentions, but I was very mindful. I was really there for that. I was there for that. And because I was there for that, I was able to make some decisions about, okay, Maria, if you're going to do this, do it. Sitting around and being snarly and snappy about it is only going to make everybody uncomfortable. The result of this is suffering. Suffering did not arise out of the taxes. Suffering arose out of my reaction to the taxes. Suffering arose out of my wanting to blame someone. Suffering arose out of my resistance. It was all right here. It was all in my head. And it was the practice of seeing what was going on that allowed me to let go of all that tightness in my shoulders, in my belly, and just say, okay, I am deciding that I'm going to do this. This is not being imposed on me. I was deciding. It was When I was fighting with the resistance, I was not admitting that I was actually deciding to be with it. Because I could have decided to just say no. So, to be aware of the longing for control. The other thing we say is, I will do this practice and watch and be aware of what arises. So, once you make the decision, I'm going to be aware, I'm going to pay attention, then you notice what happens. And in fact, like this article pointed out, many things are random. They're random. (sighs) There's a certain amount of resilience that arises from faith. The faith that, that once you realize I don't have control, things are impermanent, and and I see that. I see that in my direct experience. Then I accept randomness is there. I'm no longer fighting randomness. I'm not fighting for control. There is an ease that settles in with the acceptance of randomness. It doesn't mean I don't have any responsibility for what, how I condition for the next moment. I did have responsibility for whether I continued to snarl about doing taxes or not. I could choose. I could choose to say, okay, this is uncomfortable and I'm going to do it. It's the faith that gives rise to and encourages confidence. Oh, I can do this. I can can be mindful with what's uncomfortable and I can do this. Oh, 
I can do this. That's magical. That's really magical. That is what develops faith. When you start developing the confidence of being in the moment, that this course of action pays off, that this course of action has some meaning for you, that it has, it has something that allows you to develop freedom in the moment. And there's a, such a thing as overconfidence, right? Well, I'm, I've, I'm getting so mindful now that I'm always mindful, and then you know, I fall down the stairs or something. The overconfidence can also be there. But it is, it is looking, it is the confidence that arises out of just seeing how it is and saying, yep, that's how it is. And the okayness of it arises out of the realization that I don't have control anyway. And seeing the choice that arises from how my mind habits are working in the moment when I see them as habits and not me, then I can choose. Then I can choose. The important part about developing faith is seeing. Seeing. Noticing it. Oh, this is what's happening. Uh, I went to a concert the other night, and the first half of the concert was just brilliant. Oh. I was so proud of myself. I was busy congratulating myself. We came all the way to Berkeley. I live out in West Marin. It's about an hour, you know. This, it was worth the drive. This concert is wonderful, brilliant concert, great concert. And then about partway into the second half, I noticed these people, why are they doing this particular, this, this is a ridiculous piece. What are they doing with those? We, we've got a string quartet and these little children's toys, and they're squeaking these children's toys. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking, it was, it was an avant-garde concert. <laughs> it was the Cronus Quartet, which is a wonderful, wonderful sterling group, but they do some unusual things. So what I noticed was all of these critical remarks in my head. Okay, so we've gone from brilliant to crummy. <laughs> really crummy. So, uh, and so I was so ready to go. And, and then they did two encores, <laughs> which they always do. I knew they were going to do two encores, but, you know, I wanted to leave. And so I was, I was watching this. I wanted to leave, and I watched my mind started start, starting in about uh, the criticisms of them, and it's their fault, and it must be that the room is too warm. I'm yawning a lot, and, and, and I'm really tired, and I got a long drive home. And so I was just watching this mind chewing and realizing it really had nothing to do with the concert and that it really wasn't important why I was having all these negative responses as to be aware of the fact that it was really different from the first brilliant half <laughs> and that it was the same, the same performing group in the same seats in the same hall. Everything was the same except my mental attitude toward it. And to watch that and to, to understand that I was restless and uncomfortable. And I was, that I had some amount of control over. I was restless. I could increase my restlessness by blaming somebody else. <laughs> 
or something else. But one of the things I've learned is that I can be with what's uncomfortable without making it worse. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about the second arrow in these circles, and, and that's, that's, that's the same principle. You know, it's the second arrow. So you, you get the, the Buddha had, was talking to his, his disciples, and he said, so when you get hit with an arrow, does it hurt? And they said, yes. And he said, so what do you do then? And they said, well, I wonder where the arrow came from, and I want to know who hit it, and why did they do it? And, and he said, well, what does that do? Well, I feel worse. Well, that was not useful. That's the second arrow. <laughs> what you really need to do is just take the arrow out. You don't need to worry. The first priority is not where did it come from and why did they do it. And No, no, no. Just take the arrow out. That's the same principle of being with what is uncomfortable and being open to that experience. We need both mindfulness and perseverance to do this. We have to see what's happening. We have to be willing to be with it. Utejaniya says, the work of awareness is just to know. The work of wisdom is to differentiate between skillful and unskillful. What is skillful when I'm restless and what is unskillful? So I've learned some things about my mind by watching it. I've learned that my responses, in fact, are not always the same. I've learned that I'm not always the same person that I think I am. I've learned that I'm often blinded to what is actually happening by what I want to happen or what I fear will happen. I've learned to stay with things a bit longer as a consequence, to see what's really happening, to get past that first thought, that first response, that's, that's the more the habit response. I've learned to just wait I've learned that it's safe to wait. I tend to be really quick. And so I've learned that the first thing that comes to mind might not be the best response. Sometimes it is. I'm pretty quick. But it doesn't hurt to wait. See, because I know that I'm sometimes blinded by the momentum of whatever is happening... I'm more relaxed in my interactions with others. I don't always get to say things I think need to be said as a consequence. (laughs) It's been a hard one for me. You find yourself sitting there. And the consequences of not saying things just haven't been as bad as I always thought they would be. And sometimes things that should be said don't get said. But the consequences are not so horrible compared to the consequences of unskillful behavior, of interrupting and barging in and trying to control, which I can be very good at in the absence of mindfulness. It isn't about being good. It's about seeing what's happening so that you can make skillful decisions. It is the root to making, to being wise. The faith that it's 
okay to just see first leads to wisdom. It's okay to just see. There is less suffering as a consequence. That's my measure. I look at it and I say, is there suffering in this? If I say this, if I say it now, is there suffering if I don't say it? And afterwards, I ask myself the same questions. Is there suffering in this for someone else or for me? If the answer is yes, I don't do this. I resolve, I resolve not to do it again. I still have the same mind habits. They still come up. But I'm more able to see them. More able to see them. I'm more likely to see them as a mind habit and make a choice whether to operate or not. So I'm going to give you one more quote by Rainier, uh, Rainier Maria Rilke. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Yeah. Love the questions yourselves. Rick, it's a quote from Rilke. And uh, I like this because it doesn't require me to be anybody. It doesn't require me to believe something. Be patient with what is unsolved in your heart. Be patient. Just see. See what's happening. So, in that spirit, I have a poem by uh, Jane Hirschfield. Let's see if I pull it out here. Hold on. Find the right one. Okay, so it's called Inspiration. Think of those Chinese monks' tales, years of struggling in the zendo, then the clink while sweeping up of stone on stone. It's Emily's wisdom, truth in circuit lies. Or see Grant's Common Birds and How to Know Them, New York, Scribner's 1901. This is the quote. The approach must be by detour, advantage taken of rock, tree, mound, and brush. But if without success this way, use artifice. Throw off all stealth, appearance, watchfulness. Look guileless, a loiterer, purposeless. Stroll on, not too directly toward the bird, avoiding any gaze too steadfast. Or failing still in this, Give voice to sundry whistles. Chirp, your quarry may stay on to answer. End of quote. More briefly, try, but stymied, give it up, do something else. Leave the untrappable thought. Go walking. 
Ideas buzz the air like flies. Return to work. A fox trots by, not Hughes's sharp, stinking thought fox, but quite real, outside the window, with cream-dipped tail and red fire legs doused watery brown, emerges from the wood's dark margin, stopping all thinking, and briefly squats. Not fox, but vixen, then moves along and out of sight. Enlightenment, wrote one master, is an accident. Those certain efforts make you accident-prone. The rest slants fox-like in and out of stones. Enlightenment, wrote one master, is an accident. Those certain efforts make you accident-prone. So that's the thought I want to leave you with. That faith, the faith that sustains your spiritual practice is not one that believes that this is what's true and that this is what will happen. It is the faith that arises out of seeing how things are. Seeing how things are. And just being there for them. The faith that gives rise to confidence. Ah, Ah, it increases the likelihood of your being mindful in the next moment. It increases the likelihood of your being able to develop wisdom about how to proceed in this moment and the next moment. May you all become accident-prone. Thank you.